the, the whole FBI subplot, I don't know why, but it's just not quite working for me. And it's not an issue with the actress. I thought Grace Gummer was brilliant in Extant. I'm not sure if you've seen that, but it was a, a sci-fi series. Just not sure. Perhaps it's because I don't want to see F Society busted. I mean, maybe that's why I'm not identifying with them. Hello, friend. You're listening to Decrypted, Ars Technica's Mr. Robot podcast. This week, sadly, we're halfway through season two. So we're going to look at the big picture and what's to come with the preeminent Mr. Robot reviewer, Ars Technica's own Jonathan Gitlin. Ars Technica's Nathan Matthijs here. Thanks for tuning in to Decrypted. The internet is abuzz this week because, well, Mr. Robot did something crazy. All right, gang, let's pack it up and hit the trail. Together. Because it's one for Alderson and... Alderson for one? As you might expect from the show at this point, they managed to eke out more surprises. As show creator Sam Esmail said on Twitter this week, Mr. Robot just aired its best episode to date. Whether you're talking about all the drama in the second half with the hacking scheme or that crazy beautiful, wild, unexpected 1980s television homage. What? I can feel your bug eyes on me. Master Slave really threw us for an unexpected loop and continued the momentum Mr. Robot established once Elliot finally got back at a keyboard. On a sadder note, the episode also marks the halfway point for season two, and that seems like as good a time as any to look at the big picture with Mr. Robot so far. When it's time to review the show around the Ars Technica office, there's only one man to turn to, Jonathan Gitlin. One of the oldest bylines on staff, Jonathan is a jack-of-all-trades around Ars Technica, a man who dabbles in the sciences, definitely drives a lot of cool cars, and reviewed season one of Mr. Robot for us. Our guest this week is someone any Ars reader should be familiar with. He long precedes my time with the sites, and if you read anything about cars, you'll likely recognize the byline today. I've got Dr. Jonathan Gitlin. Jonathan, thanks for taking some time out of your workday. Thanks for having me on. It is my pleasure. I've got to meet you in real life. <laughs> and not only are you a lovely human being, but you reviewed season one of Mr. Robot for us, which kind of helped push me to get into the show a little bit more. Now that we're halfway through season two, there is no better person to bring on to talk about some of the big picture issues with the show. Why, why thank you. I'm flattered. <laughs> I was thinking we could talk about this by going through, I'm going to give us five categories. We're going to talk about okay. our biggest surprise with the series thus far, uh, our favorite sequence of season two, the question that is lingering the most in our minds what's disappointing us the most, and then to indulge a little bit in the subreddit culture, our favorite fan theories. So let's start. Give me your biggest surprise with season two thus far. That's a good one. I think there's a couple of things that kind of really shocked me. One is a, a just a scene, which I think was the reveal early on about how F Society got its name. <laughs> it's not a massive surprise, but that one kind of had me thinking, huh, I get it now. Dwarf and midget inhabitants. I mean, they also had other freaks like... Lion-faced man, limbless woman, shit like that. But the dwarves were the big money maker. Um, I thought that was that that was kind of neat and and rather left field. I think the bigger one actually, I think, is is how assimilated Angela's become. Yeah. Now that she works for E Corp, she she has basically no affect now. It's, she's like a, a blonde robot with a lot of eyeliner. <laughs> and and feeding herself various commands through all these self-help videos. I am confident. I am confident. I am 
Yes, yes. You you do have to wonder kind of what's going on underneath that ponytail. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm with you right there. I, I would say those have all been surprising to me, and especially you touched on the F Society thing. It's been cool how Season 2 has given us the backstory for what's going on in little snippets. We got that weird massacre VHS video that gave us where the mask came from. And then this last week, you know, it was a cliffhanger, so I guess we don't know for sure, but the actual identity of Mr. Robot and the term Mr. Robot might have come from Elliot himself when he was a wee child. So it's been cool to watch that grow up. But I would say for my, I'll give a surprise right back to you, five or six episodes in, depending on how you want to count that first double episode. And Mm -hmm. we've spent more time with White Rose than we have Terrell, and that blows my mind thinking of how big a part of season one Terrell was. He might have actually been my favorite part because he's this weird combination of charming, capable, but ultra creepy and unpredictable. And he spent more time on a phone or this week in the back of a 80s car than he has doing anything on screen this season. Come on, grab him by the loafers. Oh, please, gentlemen, ankles instead, the shoes, the Ferragamo. I, th- I think that's absolutely right. And I think I think maybe that gets to, to why maybe I'm not quite enjoying season two as much as I enjoyed the first one. Maybe it's the lack of um, of Tyrell's screen time. I did love the moment when, when they were going to stuff him back in the trunk this week. <laughs> and he was like, no, not the low. Grab him by my ankles. The shoes are Ferragamo. <laughs> Uh, you know, shamefully, I had to look up the brand. Definitely not something I'm familiar with as a journalist. Yeah, I, he, sh- he, he should also have pointed out that they weren't loafers, but maybe that's just me <laughs> and my sheer obsession. You mentioned that that might be part of the reason you're not enjoying season two that much. Let's move on to what your biggest disappointment with season two has been so far. So the, the whole FBI subplot, I don't know why, but it's just not quite working for me. And it's not an issue with the actress. I thought Grace Gummer was brilliant in Extant. I'm not sure if you've seen that, but it was a, a sci-fi series um, with uh, her and Halle Berry. It's worth checking out if you like sci-fi shows. Oh, what's um, the name of it? I didn't realize she was uh, kind of a known entity. Sure. It's a, it's a show called Extant, which we watched on Amazon Prime Video, so I'm, but I'm sure it's elsewhere out on streaming media somewhere. So that series is set a few decades in the future it's about an ai child but then they also we also discover aliens um, and i get the the sort of underlying theme is well which one's a greater threat to the human race is it is it robot hmm. ais uh, or is it these alien these alien entities from outer space definitely worth watching but it's not mr robot so so back to back the 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 fbi subplot i'm just not sure perhaps it's because i don't want to see f society busted i mean maybe that's why i'm not <laughs> identifying with them the other thing that didn't I, the the conversation between Zhang and and Dominique also just didn't quite work for me either. You're making me think I should invest in a decent watch. <laughs> now, if I may ask, how does a young woman from New Jersey find her way into the FBI? I was, I am, disgusted by the selfish brutality of the world, but at the same time, I'm utterly fascinated by it. FBI is a perfect place for that kind of contradiction. You know, I would imagine that if you were a real FBI agent and the, the Chinese minister of state, state security took you into, you know, his private apartments for a one-on-one, the, the, I think the FBI would make a bigger deal out of that. Uh, <laughs> although at the same time, I suppose four of her colleagues did get murdered. It, what, I mean, yes. A cra- I, I don't know that the FBI stuff was working for me much until we had that crazy sequence. 
but I'm with you. How do you, how do you feel about all the flashbacks back to Elliot's childhood? I am so this will kind of touch on what I think my biggest disappointment of season two is not the flashbacks. I think the flashbacks have for the most part worked for me because I am interested in his backstory. We still don't really know, mm-hmm. you know, Elliot is obviously dealing with a multitude of mental health issues and has some dark things in his past that might not have surfaced yet. So my, my thought process with the flashbacks is we might get to see some of this stuff. If you troll the subreddit like I do, you know, people have theories about was he abused as a child or was Darlene abused as a child? And, you know, was his his famous thrown out the window sequence, was that something he did to himself after dealing with both physical and mental abuse? Uh, right. We don't know at this point, but hopefully the flashbacks will get us there. But the the thing that is tripped me up with season two the most so far and i'll say overall i I do really like it but the pacing has felt incredibly slow compared to season one definitely and i think part of the reason is we now know that when elliot is speaking to mr robot it's really just seeing his mental thoughts play out and we've spent so much time in season two with just elliot and mr robot in this dark dingy room as interesting as they can be and as good a chemistry as Christian Slater and Rami Malek have together, it's tough to spend so much of a show stationary with one character and his thoughts, even though I know what's going on in his brain is is a huge driver of the series. Right. And I think we, we might get to this when we get to some of the, the fan theories. But, you know, we learn in season one that Elliot's an unreliable narrator. But so the question now is, is you know, can you actually trust anything you see on screen anymore? <laughs> Which I think is, it's often had me questioning, you know, I'm watching a scene and I'm thinking, well, you know, is this, is, you know, what's this actually a metaphor going on in, in Elliot's life right now? Um, you know, are we actually seeing the characters like when Ray shows up, you know, in that first episode, um, and then as Ray arrives, Leon leaves. So the whole thing was, well, is, is Ray real or is he just an alter ego of uh, Leon that Elliot's creating? So the human condition is a straight up tragedy because. Before we get to the fan theories, because I feel like we should save those for last because some of them are pretty wild. Let's talk about our favorite sequences. And I'll go first because I think you mentioned Ray. Looking back at the season, I think my favorite sequence is when when Elliot, after four episodes of being in this prison-like environment, finally gets behind a keyboard. And, he, you know, he comes alive and it seems like the greatest thing in the world. They do a nice sequence of his inner monologue talking about what's going on, this rush he gets, this feeling of God mode when he pones somebody. And then they do a great cut. The audio goes out, the background soundtrack goes out, and we get a wide shot of Ray's thug basically just watching Elliot quietly type away at a keyboard. All on Evil Corpse Network applications, everything. Domain admin. This, the thrill of poning a system. This is the greatest rush. God access. The feeling never gets old. And I thought that was a great microcosm of the world Elliot has built in his head versus what reality is. Mm-hmm. And, and it then leads to what I think was like one of my favorite moments of the series. It seems like Ray is real, you know, but the fact that he might be the show's version of Ross Ulbricht and his site might be the show's version of The Silk Road put yes. put to bed the prison theory for me, which I was kind of nervous about. You know, the longer those things live online, the more plausible they seem to become. And mm-hmm. like you were talking about Elliot as an unreliable narrator, if everything in the show 
has some degree of unreality. It it's hard for me to follow along. I, I just have like this lingering nervousness and skepticism in the back of my head, and I I want that to go away. Right. I think I think no one wants to wants to, uh, as an elsewhere moment, right? Because <laughs> it, it it under it it undermines all of the emotional investment you have in 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 the story. I think I think my favorite sequence actually was probably Elliot's Adderall bender. Oh, that's um, great. Yeah. Um, I thought there was there were some great images in there. And and really the and I said this in my season one wrap up actually. And I'll preface it by saying I'm I'm not a hacker, I'm not a coder. <laughs> I use a Mac because the command line terrifies me. So, you know, a lot of the tech details that, that some of our colleagues um understand more and then get angry because they're not exactly accurate kind of pass by me. But it's it's the depiction of, of Elliot's mental illness and how he's breaking down and kind of reacting to the world around him that I, that I find absolutely fascinating. I mean, that's what I really enjoyed about season one. And it's those glimpses in, in season two as well that I'm, I'm particularly enjoying. That was also a, just, Which, I feel like, a beautiful visual sequence, as gross as the idea of rummaging through your own, you know, excuse my French, vomit for these pills was. Mm-hmm. It was like a beautifully shot sequence. Absolutely. And the the image of you know when he gets kidnapped and then force fed concrete, you know at first you're wondering, um, and it's interesting, and that sets you up actually for for a couple of episodes later. So you know you watch that and you think, is he being kidnapped? Um, and then realize no, it's all going on in his head. And then obviously a couple of seasons, a couple of episodes later, you know, raise goons, drag him out of bed and 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 beat him to a pulp. And that time actually it is happening. Yeah, yeah, brutally real, brutally real. If I can add this, it's perhaps not my favorite sequence, but in in this week's episode, I did really appreciate. The, the sort of 1980s <laughs> bits, uh, maybe not quite so much the actual Mr. Robot sitcom, but, you know, the kind of the, 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 the fluff that went around it, you know, the, the, the vintage E-Corp adverts. I do, I, I do wonder, did, did Budweiser have to pay for that Budweiser spot? <laughs> Presumably they did. I would think so. It speaks to the commitment they had. You know, obviously people recognize the commitment put into the tech and their writers and their tech advisors are trying these hacks in small scale to see if they're feasible. But you you know they went and did all the 80s era commercials they got the dude who's actually the voice of alf to reprise his role and i think my favorite detail was the theme song is written by basically the og of 80s theme song writers jesse frederick who did like the full house theme and the step-by-step theme they somehow got him to write a mr robot 80s style theme song Deep in your heart, hope stays alive Stand up tall and surely you'll survive Imagine a world gone insane Gone insane We've got two more topics to talk about with the esteemed Dr. Gitlin, but first... Word from our corporate overlords! In times of chaos and uncertainty, when the world feels off balance, we look to those who've stood with us from the beginning. Since 1884, we've had America's back. We may get knocked down, but we'll never get knocked out. Still on your side. Well, let's. I want to get two more topics in, if you still okay. have time. What is the biggest lingering question you have now with season two about halfway over? What the hell happened to... to- Tyrell, where is he? I want to know what's going on. I don't even have a good theory about what is going on with Tyrell because we've gotten so little information about him. You know, it's really him on the phone 
or this week we saw him in a dream sequence <laughs> in the trunk of a car. But it doesn't seem like Joanna has given away any information on it, and certainly Mr. Robot hasn't. No. Um, and, and, you know, going back to the end of season one, who was it that fell off the, the boardwalk railing? Yeah. I don't know if you remember, there was, you know, the video of at the, the, the time the hack was going on or just after, you know, and you just see in the distance someone sitting on the railing and they fall off. So, you know, was that, was that Tyrell? Was that just to mislead us? I'm guessing it's going to come back and we'll find some, find out something more about that. He's got to be involved in season two at some point. And we're, you know, we're only have so many episodes left. Uh, I have tried to not spoil it for myself by digging into whether uh, the actor, which I think his name is Martin Wallstrom, has signed on mm-hmm. for a full season of episodes or not. But knowing the Mr. Robot staff and crew, they've probably buried that information, and I bet it's hard to find. Right, and his his name still shows up on the credits, you know, even in episodes he's not in. But then again, so does so so does the actor who played Gideon Goddard. Although we saw him this week, so um, <laughs> you know, I guess with the the magical realism of the show, you know, even even though you're dead, it doesn't mean you won't you won't be showing up next week. Yeah. What a, what a good sport that guy is. He comes back for a cameo where he gets killed again. <laughs> mm-hmm. That that'd be his, that, that's his third time now, right? We've seen him. We he's been shot in the shot in the throat. He's had his throat cut, and he's also been run over by Alf. It's he's getting paychecks, but it's uh, gruesome work. I would say my my personal lingering question. And I guess we've slowly started to address it, but I'm still not quite sure. I want to know what Philip Price really wants with Angela. Philip Price, master of the universe. It's become obvious she was hired for a reason. And even Angela, the character, is onto that. You know, she approaches him in that parking lot with her best guess, which is there's something in the legal case that only Angela could see and would either pull out or be quiet about. But Philip Price kind of dismisses her for that. So I think the real reason why Angela's with E Corp and so quickly progressing up the ladder is is still to come. My personal theory has been that it's got something to do with F Society and Price is aware she is interrelated with Elliot and Darlene somehow. But I don't know that they've given us anything on screen that indicates that yet. I, I think I think you're absolutely right. You know, if you think about it, I, I guarantee the Dark Army know her links to Elliot um, and, and we know that you know that there's communication there so I, I, I tend to agree with you I think there's there, there's definitely some ulterior motive and, and I would imagine it's probably something to do with Elliot well let's get to the the last big topic I want to tackle at the halfway point in the season and you referenced it earlier the show this season has seemed to spawn even more fan theories than the first season did. And I'm wondering which of these fan theories is your favorite, whether it's because it's just outright crazy or it's because you've been talking yourself into it a little bit. So I must confess, I've kind of been staying away from reading the general internet about the show. So so when I when I knew we were going to talk about this today, I kind of delved into some of them to, to familiarize myself with them. Your willpower I, is uh, impressive, by the way. <laughs> Why, thank you. Uh, you could you could call it laziness as well, but but I'll go with willpower in this case. So a lot of the theories, I guess, you know, kind of come back to that same idea of well, how much is on screen? What can we actually trust on screen? What of it? What are we seeing? That's you know really Elliot's brain trying to cope with with his actual surroundings. Kind of like this idea that he's in prison or a psychiatric <laughs> hospital, but but I, I don't know that I necessarily buy it. I tell you one actually, the the one theory that that I kind of thought may have some merit, uh, is this idea that, that Dom, the FBI agent, and Ray, the gangster, are actually the same person. 
cold, brutal shit right there. I'm going to have to go listen to some of Dale on repeat when I get back home. Oh, explain a little bit of what, where that comes from. Uh, I, I guess the idea behind this is that this is the, it's Elliot's way of interacting. I guess it, the, the theory kind of depends on the fact that he's, he is in prison or a psychiatric hospital. And, you know, everything that we most of what we see is, is his delusions and that, that he's invented this character of Ray as someone he can talk to as a stand in um, for Dominique. Oh, interesting. I, I don't necessarily know that I buy it. It's just out of the <laughs> theories that I've read. I thought that one was oh, it's kind of interesting. I mean, there's ideas like, you know, is, is, is Ter- Tyrell the same as, you know, is Tyrell really Elliot? Yeah. Um, which I, that seems a little obvious. I don't know. What, what about you? you? You are more immersed in this subculture. I, I do not have the willpower. I'm on the subreddit at least twice a week. Cause I, especially after an episode airs, within that first 24 hours, it seems like people have either disproven previous theories or have a whole no, new trove of evidence for why something is you know, the reality. Like we were talking about before, I, I struggle with the idea that some of what I'm not, what I'm watching is not real. And so I, I tend to gravitate towards theories that don't have as much to do with Elliot's reliability. And the one mm-hmm. that I like the most is, uh, is Darlene a sleeper cell with the Dark Army? What you're doing here, Darlene, and what you're saying, you, I mean, you sounded like George W. Bush, for crying out loud. Okay, first of all, that's low. One, I think it's semi-plausible. When we first meet Darlene, she is literally dating a a surrogate of the Dark Army, and perhaps that, you know, foot soldier, as he gets called this week, Cisco, I think is his name. I I was about to say, didn't he learn not to ask questions? God, I I don't deal well with needles, and that made me cringe terribly. I I wonder what will happen to him, you know, because we really didn't see the fallout from whatever that little attack was. Uh, And the way Mr. Robot works, I have a feeling it's still to come. Right, and and we know that we know that now from from that attack that the the Dark Army considers its agents expendable. Oh, very much so, very much so. But that you know, so the fact that when we first meet Darlene, we don't necessarily know about Cisco, but when we see them together on the screen, there's obviously a backstory and a history together. It's it's semi plausible that the Dark Army works with her closely, that she may be a U.S. based member, uh, and Cisco is just the foot soldier running between the Chinese contingent and Darlene, and it would also kind of add to the overall idea that the Dark Army is well aware of what F Society did. And F Society, rather than being these heroes who did something anarchistic and novel, are really just little pawns being played by these giant entities struggling with each other. And, you know, if if you think of Darlene as a Dark Army actor, then you can start to second-guess, well, are her actions actually good for Elliot, or has she been slowly making moves that are bad for F society and bad for Elliot, it kind of paints the way you you kind of have to go back and question her motives and her actions. So I think that's Mm -hmm. what really draws me to this theory. I'm going to have to think about that and rewatch some of the earlier episodes. (laughs) I think think that's, I think that's one of the things actually I I, I like about this show is the, the certainly rewatching season one, you know, after seeing all of it, you, you, you take in scenes in a very different way, I think. It's incredible how layered they made the show. It's, I mean, obviously it's built for 
this online Reddit and forum detective lifeblood that TV has nowadays because these people dig into screenshots. They dig into all of the secret websites that USA then puts online as Easter eggs for people. I wonder how much of it was intentional in the beginning, but now I definitely think there's a lot of intent going into the scripts week to week to make sure all this stuff checks out and may have multiple layers and multiple meanings to it. So yeah, well, definitely, depending on what happens reveal-wise, it would be very interesting to go back and watch, at, at the very least, the first half of this season to see, you know, what are Darlene's motivations and are they necessarily best for F Society as a whole and Elliot in particular? Definitely. I think <laughs> maybe a topic for us to revisit. 100%. I'm, I'm sure things are certain to come. Um, but Jonathan, I, I'm glad we finally were able to connect. I look forward to hearing more of your thoughts as the season goes along, whether it's in the Slack or whether I get you back on the phone. Thanks for having me on. That's it for this week's Decrypted. Thanks go out to my colleague, Jonathan Gitlin, for taking some time out of his workday. And thanks also go out to the Audio Network, who provided all the soundtrack you heard throughout the episode. We've got a string of guests coming up who will talk about everything from the show's depiction of violence to the psychology of Elliot. So make sure you tune in next week. Make sure you're following Decrypted wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, or directly through RSS. If you got questions, comments, or thoughts, feel free to reach out to us, either through the Ars Technica forums or via email, social at arstechnica.com. Just put Mr. Robot in the subject line. Until next time. What is that? That laughing. <laughs>